Michael Fragan, who you could hear at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on our stream at jmnam.org every Thursday, is the host of Spin Class, Politics with Michael Fragan. He has the distinction of closely following one of my favorite spectator sports, and that is the world of politics. So if he doesn't mind, I'll jump right in. Michael Fragan, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. Good morning, ZK. We'll talk about Achiezer in a minute. That's great. The governors of New York and New Jersey mishandled the Ebola quarantine situation or not, in your opinion? Politically now I'm talking. I'm not talking about medically. <laughs> mishandled, I think, is a good word. It's not quite as strong as some might say and not quite as weak as others might say. Right. So mishandled is a good thing. I think mishandled in the fact that there was just no coordination. When you want to have an interagency, intergovernmental approach to something, it should be consistent. You should have consistency across the board. When you don't talk to other people and you just go it your own way, which has become the Christie Cuomo way, they have a little bit of a similarity in the way they do things, That's it's just not helpful for a lot of the other people who are left out of that decision-making and are left to kind of to their own devices to kind of scramble and keep up with the directives coming from so, those governors. So Christy Cuomo is not the typical Republican Democrat where you know we're different in our political thinking and therefore have trouble getting all you're thinking it's beyond that, that their personalities add a whole other component to it on top of the you know, that's just the general we're not really political allies type thing. Well Chris Christie has kind of molded his own persona, his own idea that I am the chief, the buck stops with me. And if you don't like it, blame me, but I'm willing to take it and I'm willing to make those tough decisions. And that's worked for him. That works for him in most places in general because in New Jersey, there's very little to counter the governor. The governor is a very powerful governorship. The New York governor is also very powerful, but not quite as powerful. There are other institutions in New York right. that are almost at remember, – remember, Chris Christie is the only statewide elected official in New right. Jersey. There's a lieutenant governor as well, but mm-hmm. lieutenant governor is subservient, and there wasn't a lieutenant governor until a couple of years ago. So in New York, there are some competing uh, forces. But I, perhaps Cuomo wants to be a little bit more – like Chris Christie. He sees the guy next door and sees, wow, he really gets away with this and he does it well and he kind of goes out there and does things and says, the buck stops with me and says, I like that. And I'm sure there are a lot of governors around the country thinking, if I could do that and pull that off, it would really be great for me. Right. So I think there is some envy on that part. Cuomo is a, a more interesting, uh, I think, political persona in the fact that in some cases he makes decisions very, very quickly. He takes very, very little advice, and a lot of that has worked for him. But in some cases, he's extraordinarily deliberate. Take hydrofracking, for example, you know, which is the gas drilling right. upstate uh, that we have. We have loads of natural gas in New York, but we're not allowed to extract it because of environmental regulations, mm-hmm. or at least the ones that – he's been studying that now for four years, his entire term since he's been in office. Not exactly the – the decisive type of persona you might like. But on the other hand, when it came to certain votes in the legislature, particularly around redefining marriage, that took place just like that. I mean, in a second. I mean, there was no debate. There were no hearings. There was no nothing, everything. You know, just get it done through, and I'll take the heat for it. Sort of like the new gun laws also, right? Well, I was going to get to that as well. But, you know, I know guns are, uh, you know, a touchy subject around this table, so I don't want to go (laughs) ahead. (laughs) 
I, I, I just didn't know if Miriam brought her gun this morning, so I was getting <laughs> a little bit nervous. Uh, well, you know my position when it comes to this. Oh, yes, the, I do. The, the, more, the more guns around, the safer we'd be, but whatever. Well, that's why they call it the SAFE Act. Right. And uh, I will tell you, the SAFE Act is playing uh, very... No, but his SAFE Act is the opposite. Very poorly for uh, for Republicans upstate right, right now. But I mean, for Democrats upstate. Right. Me- well, r- correct. Meaning that those of us in New York City who are assuming that Governor Cuomo is winning this election by a landslide, it's not the same atmosphere uh, in up- in upstate New York. I think you're I think you're correct. I mean, look, I think a lot of people went ahead and looked at this election and said uh, Andrew Cuomo is going to get Chuck Schumer type numbers right. or. Kristen Gillibrand type numbers, or even Elliot Spitzer type numbers. I'm sure he doesn't want that comparison, right. but you know, 70 percent range. I think at this point in the he he might win by a right. significant margin. He would take a 60. If you told he, him today he, you could have over 60, he, he said would he's going to take a 51. And, right, but come on, <laughs> but we know well, there are three candidates in the race, and the third candidate is polling at 10 percent. Right, so there's so, 10 points right there. So there's right. 10 points right there on his left that right. he's that he's losing. So it's not. It's not quite happening the way he's going to happen, but politics never happens the way you actually plan it out. And I think what's instructive here is that you play to win 51%. He, everybody's making fun of him. Well, you're not really happy with 51%, but you are, because in the end, you start over, you have another four-year term, and you move forward. Right, understood. Michael Fragan's here. We'll talk about Achiezer in a moment. They're hosting us here today. Um, Do you see great change next week in the United States Senate or not? I do see change. You do. I don't know if I see great change, but right. I see change. Uh, there's, I think, I think the path to 51, which is what it is, that's the number, is uh, is pretty clear right now. Uh, in, in, and there, are, you know, there are a number of states that could be. Now there are some wild cards in there. Obviously, the Kansas race right. is particularly interesting, where you have an independent who might take out a long time incumbent, probably through political malpractice on the part of that incumbent being Pat Roberts. Accusations here, Mr. Oh, well, Reagan. I, well, look, I, I think the, the money line from this race was they asked a senior aide to Pat Roberts after the, uh, during the primary, right before the primary. He had a very tough Republican primary. What is the senator going to do after the primary? And the age response is, he's going to go home to rest. Where is home? In Virginia. <laughs> now, I'm sorry. If you are the senator of Kansas, you say home is in Kansas. Whatever legalese you want to say as far as your resident, selective, whatever it is, you say home is in Kansas. Correct. <laughs> That's a money line, all right. That is the money line. All right, line. so path to 51. Again, how, how doable? I think it's I think it's doable. I think it's probably going to happen, but we won't see a lot of change. Remember, right. it takes sixty to get right. anything to done. To make any real change. To make any real change. And unfortunately, I think we're just going to see a lot more of the same from the Congress and the President. And we're not seeing a lot, even on the things that the President can do without the Congress: foreign policy, ISIS, Ebola. He's not doing a great job. I mean, th- th- that and if he is, the perception is that he's not. There's nothing that's oh. happening publicly that reassures anybody that he's ha- got those situations under control. I look at the polls on a consistent basis, as I'm sure you do, Nahum, and probably every day, if not m- multiple times a day. And if President Obama is polling 40 in New York State, right? New York State. Then imagine. That's deeper blue than the sign that you have in back of you. Right. I'm sorry for the radio audience. Right. I can't see how blue that sign is. Now we know why nobody's running on Obama. Nobody's running on Obama. I mean, I saw last night. Hillary, Hillary Clinton is coming to campaign, and she's here, and the Clintons are here in New York campaigning for various congressional candidates. Obama is nowhere to be found. And uh, I, look, I, I don't want to 
it's not the knock Obama. We're not on the knock Obama show. Right. This is not. Uh, we can use other shows for that. And I'm not. I'm not there to knock anybody. I think it's just to analyze the political scene. But this president's numbers, even for a midterm election, I think are extraordinarily dangerous for a Democrat uh, running. And he isn't campaigning for any of the real battlegrounds in the re- any of the real battleground races. Have you been reading the articles about the Bush Clinton possible <laughs> presidential election? Uh, I'm not. I, I, I'm I'm a little bit skeptical that Jeb Bush will actually run in the end. I don't know. The more the Republicans convince him that he's the only one who could beat Hillary, the more likely he's going to run. Look, I I think Jeb Bush has extraordinary talents. I think he was a great governor of Florida. I think he is a, a he great. He comes from a obviously a great brand name in the Republican Party. There's no question about it. And I don't have any favorite right now. All I'm saying is there are two issues that resonate heavily amongst Republican voters, registered Republicans, where Jeb Bush would seem to be, although from my person personally, you know, I'm not uh, right. I'm not opining on how I feel personally about this. Common core. Right. Very, very toxic amongst Republicans. Nobody likes Common Core. Correct. Jeb Bush is the number one national proponent of Common Core and immigration reform. Now the now immigration Granted, the Republicans have moved a little bit on that, and I think it's not quite as dangerous. But you saw from Eric Cantor and his race that it's still amongst Republican right. primary voters that is a toxic issue. Right. And Jeb Bush is out front on both of those issues. So it's plenty it, of Democrats who are now against Common Core already. They're, well, they should they should be. Right. It's not just look. Common Core has become this catchword for the for a national approach to a local issue and right. nationalizing uh, nationalizing education in 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 a way that many people around the country, whether they be the education establishment, whether they be teachers, whether they be parents, they don't want to be dictated to by somebody in Washington. Now, in truth, Common Core didn't come from Washington. It came from the governors. It actually right. came from the states. But it just shows when you explain things poorly, uh, that's... It's uh, hard for it to be receptive. <laughs> exactly. The, the rollout doesn't go quite as smoothly, and a lot of it is in the spin, and that's why we talk about spin. The first person who talked, um, who, who, the first person who escorted us to the five towns two years ago when Superstorm Sandy hit was Michael Fragan. You met us, I believe. I met him. Excuse me? I met him. You've met him. Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh, I think it was at the White, Sh- not the White Show. It was at uh, at the Shayashev that we first. Well, we met. went to Shayashev, yes, and that sh- I just wanted you to see the the. Oh, the enormity the was gym. insane. Well, first of all, there were two things going on at Shayashev at the time. I mean, and and you think it, it's hard to imagine. We go about our daily lives here, you know, and we have power. There's food. Supermarkets are open. There's commercial activity. In, in a sense, back then it was we were kind of cut off. You couldn't go anywhere because there was no gas. You couldn't go out after 4 o'clock because there were no lights. People couldn't cook at home, so they had no food. They had no refrigeration. They had no ability to get new food. So Shayashiv had meals all day there, and uh, there was people serving food from all over, and people were donating clothing. And uh, it was just incredible. The whole gym was full with clothing, and there were people, as you saw, you know, regular people all over who had lost everything in the storm going ahead and getting clothing that they needed for themselves and they needed for their families. And it's just it's just incredible. People that you might have seen or you might have davened with uh, uh, two days earlier were now had to go ahead and get handouts. And uh, it's it was really – it was an extraordinary scene, but the extraordinary chesed done by, by Achiezer and, uh, and others and, and, and the JCC and others, you know, who had – 
really rose to the occasion with regard to with regard to Sandy was really incredible. And all those out there who came from other communities to help us was just is just. And I thought, you know, given our relationship, you should see that firsthand. There's there's no there's no way to describe it unless you actually saw it. I oh, think that's I'm for correct. sure. When um and, and of course then seeing the devastation uh, of homes and what was on their lawns and uh, and people just trying to figure out where to start, which was an unbelievable task in and of itself. Uh, when you're a keen observer of the community, when when an organization is thrust into the middle of something like this, there's basically two directions they can go, and they can either rise to the occasion or they can completely fall apart. Uh, what was the key here that Achiezer was able to rise to the occasion and uh, and and become what they've become to this point? I, I think the key is uh, is commitment and and really the idea that we're not going to allow any person from this community to go without and whatever they need however they they need it we're going to get it to them uh, we're going to figure out how to get it to them we're going to figure out how to do it not to say well we don't handle that go go to somebody right. else uh, which although many times is the reaction of certain and that's not wrong there are people there are organizations that can't handle that kind of thing so they're free but to but, the, but also the incredible network of volunteers of everyday people who are ready at a moment's notice to drop everything to help somebody else uh, whether it's to, on a daily, on a weekly basis to deliver food packages, on a daily basis to drive people to the hospital. Those kinds of things, those come into play in emergencies as, as well. And I will say, getting the Achiezer phone lines open, which really was incredible. When you think about it, you know, something so simple as having phones, <laughs> right? There were no cell phones. There were no landlines. You couldn't call people. It was the old-fashioned way. In order to speak to somebody, you actually had to say, okay, be at this and this place, and I'll meet you there. And... There was no way to tell them, don't be there. That was for like a week. Unbelievable. The whole thing is unbelievable when we think back. Achiezer.org for information about the uh, incredible work of Achiezer. Achiezer.org or 516-791-4444. 516-791-4444 on the uh, 28th of December. They have their elder care two seminar, and we'll talk about that and uh, why it's so important for people dealing with elderly issues uh, as we get closer to the event that happens in uh, East Elmhurst, New York, at the LaGuardia Plaza Hotel. And again, that happens on Sunday, December the 28th, tomorrow night. Uh, you'll be on pre-election day starting at 6 p.m. on our stream at jmnam.org. And uh, in half a minute, tell me the topic tomorrow evening. Oh, so we're going to do – we're going to try something new. We're going to do a full hour of, of call-in. And I want people to come and call with their questions, uh, with observations, uh, try and keep it clean. But uh, try, <laughs> but try, uh, but certainly, I want you know, I want people to call in and see what their races are, what they're thinking, what's going to happen, questions they might have about races and and the like. I think uh, an informed voter is a is is a is a good voter and a, a motivated voter. So if people want to call in about it, and it doesn't matter what race it is, local, national, we could talk New York, we could talk You'll elsewhere. You'll even do Israel if you want. Well, there's no election right now in Israel. At least you never you, know. You never, right, you never know. So why don't By we, tomorrow there could be. Why, why don't we stick to the 50 states as far as that's concerned? And we'll, uh, but there's all kinds of things. The entire house is up for grabs, uh, even though right now I think we're down to about 15 real competitive right. races, one of whom is here in – two of whom are at least are here right. in New York. Close races. Two right. or three, actually, at this point. Uh, uh, you have the Staten Island well, Long race. Island, Staten Island, and which is the Long third. Island, that, Long Island. Oh, and Westchester. Huh? And, and Westchester. Northern Westchester. Right. Northern Westchester. Those three would be considered um, closely contested races. Extraordinarily right? close, and it's uh, and it's really – it's uh, it's you know a great political season right now. You have the Senate up for grabs, as you mentioned. Governor 
governorships. There are people who now, like, like Scott Walker in Wisconsin, right. it's a very close race for governor. You know, if he loses, obviously, he's probably out of the presidential sweepstakes for 2016. If he wins, uh, he certainly is a contender in 2016. All right, so that's all happening tomorrow night, 6 p.m. Eastern time on our stream at jmnam.org. Michael Fragan, as I always say, I could do this for hours, but at the risk that it might happen, I have to say goodbye. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much for having me, and thanks for doing this broadcast here. I appreciate that. so important that people remember what happened here. I appreciate that. Two years later, Superstorm Sandy, more coming up from Achiezer. This is JM in the AM. Thank you.